DW Africa Link The Africa Cup of Nations hosts Ivory Coast are among Africa's football giants. The home of the elephants, as they're called, boasts of former football players like Didier Drogba, Salomon Kalu, the Toure brothers Yaya and Kolo, and Didier Zokura, among others. In the 2000s, when they were making waves on football fields around the world, Ivory Coast was being torn apart by devastating civil wars. Now, Ivory Coast is hosting Africa's biggest and most exciting football tournament. On this edition of the Store of the Week on DW Africa Link, we will examine how far the country has come since Didier Drogba went down on bended knees to beg the fighters to lay down their arms in Ivory Coast. I'm your host, Isaac Mugabe. But first, Okeri Ngushinado will bring us the world news in brief. DW News. Hello, I am Okeri Ngushinado. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected a ruling by the International Court of Justice calling on the country to act immediately to prevent a genocide in Gaza. The top international court was responding to a case brought by South Africa which accuses Israel of committing genocide against Palestinians in Gaza. The court said Israel must do more to protect civilians there but did not grant South Africa's request for a ceasefire. Here is what the Israeli Prime Minister had to say on the ruling. Israel's commitment to international law is unwavering. Equally unwavering is our sacred commitment to continue to defend our country and defend our people. Like every country, Israel has an inherent right to defend itself. The vile attempt to deny Israel this fundamental right is blatant discrimination against the Jewish state, and it was justly rejected. The charge of genocide leveled against Israel is not only false, it's outrageous, and decent people everywhere should reject it. Kenyan President William Ruto's affordable housing plan has suffered a major blow after the country's Court of Appeal on Friday refused to extend a stay that had allowed the government to continue collecting a 1.5% levy from Kenyans. The tax was part of a controversial finance law adopted in June that also doubled the rate of value-added tax on fuel and increased the top income tax rate. The law sparked violent protests the following month by opponents who said it would further squeeze households at a time of rising living costs. In other news, Kenya's government vowed on Friday to challenge a court ruling against its decision to send a police contingent to Haiti to lead a UN-backed law and order mission in the gang-plagued Caribbean nation. The ruling, which branded the deployment illegal, throws into doubt the future of a multinational force long sought by Haiti's government, which has pleaded for international help to confront violence that has left nearly 5,000 dead. Africa Link News comes to you from Germany's international broadcaster, DW. The West Africa bloc ECOWAS has said that it aborted a negotiation mission to speak with military leaders in Niger because of technical problems with a chartered aircraft. The Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, has imposed tough sanctions on Niger since a coup in July ousted President Mohamed Bassoum, but it is trying to negotiate a transition back to civilian rule. The Prime Minister appointed by Niger's military regime earlier criticized ECOWAS for bad faith after only Togo's foreign minister turned up for a scheduled meeting. And in sports, Jurgen Klopp has made the shock announcement that he will resign at the end of the season, 
saying he is running out of energy. Klopp had led Liverpool to a Champions League title and Premier League Championship in his tenure after being hired in October 2015. The football coach joined Liverpool from German side Borussia Dortmund with whom he won two Bundesliga titles and the German Cup. Now in AFCON news. A bid by African Cup of Nations host Ivory Coast to get former coach Erf Renard back on their bench to take charge of the rest of their campaign at the tournament has been turned down, French media reports have said. Renard is the coach of the French women's team and permission had been sought of the French Football Federation by the Avorians to loan the 55-year-old coach for the tournament. That has been the latest news. I am Okeri Gushinato. Thanks, Okiri Ngushinadho, for that update on what's happening around the world. For those just joining us via our Facebook page, DW Africa, you are listening to the Story of the Week on DW Africa Link, and I'm your host, Isaac Mugabe. Sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. It has the power to unite people in a way that little else does. It speaks to youth in a language they understand. Nelson Mandela, South African anti-apartheid icon and former president, once said, and indeed, football has transformed Ivory Coast, a country that had been torn apart by devastating civil wars between 2002 and 2011. The conflict was a byproduct of very deep cleavages that revolved around ethnicity, nationality, and religion. Politicians who tapped into these differences to consolidate their monopoly and power pushed the country into war. But after wading through that turbulent history, Ivory Coast is making tremendous progress, enough to stage Africa's biggest and most exciting football tournament, the Africa Cup of Nations, or AFCON. I spoke to W's Bram Postumas, who lives in Abidjan. His coverage of Ivory Coast, a country you may of course also know as Côte d'Ivoire, has been extensive for many years. Bram, let me ask you about AFCON first, because this week that Group F stage game between Zambia and Morocco just sealed the deal for the country. What was the mood like in Abidjan? It was like night and day. I walked along the streets as the game had started, and, you know, it was as if there was no game at all happening. But the second after the final whistle, when everyone knew Cote d'Ivoire had qualified for the next round, Abidjan went crazy. At least they did slightly better than that in 1984 when Ivory Coast first hosted this tournament and they were eliminated the first round. A lot has happened in those four years. Oh, you know, Ivorians have lived through it all. Back in 1984, the founding father of the nation, the first president, his name was Félix Houphouët-Boigny, he was still in power. He died in 1993, and from that moment on, Côte d'Ivoire has been on a roller coaster. They had a coup in 1999, and then another failed coup a few years later, and then the entire country got split between two armies for nine very long years. Between 2002 and 2011, rebels held the north and the government army was in control of the south. And right in the middle of all that, right in the middle of that painful period, Côte d'Ivoire managed to qualify for the World Cup for the very first time in 2006. And incidentally, it was Germany that hosted the World Cup that year. And someone who remembers this time very well is the man I spoke to a few days ago in the Arts Gallery, where there is the exhibition on half a century of Ivorian football history. So here's Sheikh Sanogo speaking about then and now. Le foot a été toujours 
For us, football has always been a factor in our social cohesion. Take 2006, for instance, when we took part in the group stages of the World Cup for the very first time in Germany. There was this message that Didier Drogba sent us when we had qualified. He said that Côte d'Ivoire is a land of solidarity and we are one people in need of peace. That message has forever been etched into our memories. The word peace always returns. From 2006 until today, we work towards peace. That's a powerful message coming from Ivory Coast's most iconic football star in the midst of a deep crisis. How did that end? Because the country was finally reunified in 2011. Yes, it was, but that happened after a brief and vicious civil war late 2010 into early 2011. 3,000 people were killed in just five months. For many people, that memory is still very fresh and raw. Kofi Christian was a young guy I found outside a popular fitness centre where he was having a break. He talks about today's tournament, but he also talks about those bad days just 13 years ago. You see, first of all, we are playing this game with several nations and it brings us together. Sure, we criticise each other, we make fun of each other, but that's all part of the great joy we are having. Now, if you go back to 2010, this brings me bad memories. We are obliged to let it go because we are organizing this thing, this tournament, but we are still hurting. Yes, it will pass. We are really trying to forget. You have to wash it off before you get back into the sun. That's a lot to put behind you after just 13 years, but somehow Ivorians are managing to do just that. How do they do that? They do that by looking forward and concentrating on making a living. Since the war, this economy has been booming. We've had a post-war construction boom that never seems to end. Even COVID hasn't put a dent into it. But yeah, there are definitely problems that remain. Human rights abuses from the war have gone unpunished. The economic boom has made some people very rich, but far too many are just barely surviving. Corruption is a huge issue. These and other problems need to be solved, but nobody wants the violence to return. So everyone you speak to is friendly and very, very welcoming. I will let you listen now to the woman everyone here calls Queen Gina in this part of town. She runs a restaurant and a bar that stays open until very late. First off, I'm happy to see all my Ivorian brothers here. After all, we're organizing these games. But then it's also a great pleasure to welcome other countries, other people, other continents. It's a tournament of the open mind. It gives people the chance to discover this country that we love so much. We already understand each other perfectly well in this country. But we always try to do better. And even now that we're angry with our national team, the Elephants, after the match, we also realize that these are our brothers. It's just a game after all. You can't stay angry. A very reasonable restaurant owner there. So the Ivorian team survived by the smallest of margins. And next, and next up, it's Senegal. Any predictions? You know, it's going to be hard for them. They're playing Senegal, which is one of the favourites. But um, it's, it's hard not to wish them well, you know, the Ivorian national team. And it's got everything to do with people's outgoing, joyous character, which literally everybody notices when they set foot on Ivorian soil. Outside the restaurant, whose owner you just heard, I found a Nigerian visitor who was audibly very pleased to be here. Ivorians, 
they are so friendly with the strangers and they are no the way they, they, they welcome people I'm so interesting with them they have good atmosphere when I'm in Ivory Coast it's like I'm in Nigeria this uh, can competition you know make you know to know each other and I'm very happy to, to be in Cote d'Ivoire so that's the word from Michael Olalekan from Nigeria, clearly very much enjoying himself in Abidjan. Thank you, Bram, and have a great few football-free days in Abidjan before AFCON goes into the knockout stages. Now, hosting the 34th edition of AFCON is very important for nation-building. Ivorian President Alassane Ouattara appears hopeful that it will cast out the remnants discord that may still be lingering. To help us understand a big sporting event like football can have on a country, I invited Ibrahima Ken from the Open Society Initiative based in Dakar, Senegal, who has done extensive research on Ivory Coast. Ibrahima, thank you for joining us on the Story of the Week on Africa Link. Before we talk about sports in peace building, could you take us back to the civil war years in Ivory Coast, please? It was more than a divided country. It was a destroyed country. And a destroyed country because politicians, for their own agenda, decided to do so. Uh, if you recall, uh, all this started at the death of uh, late Ofoy Bwanyi, who was seen as the man who built the country. Uh, Ofoy Bwanyi, last prime minister, was Alassane Ouattara. Ouattara at some point was holding a passport from Haute Volta, but at the end became Ivorian because I, Cote d'Ivoire was always a country of migration of West African. And because he was a very clever, you know, very brilliant, Ofer Boigny decided to make him his uh, own prime minister. And when he died, Watara was a prime minister. Maybe Watara made a mistake not to hand over at the death of the first president of Cote d'Ivoire the power to the speaker of the parliament who was uh, Bédier. As the constitution stated, he he tried to maneuver. Those maneuvers were not accepted by uh, Bédier. And then Bédier himself uh, you know, just went to the television and said, I'm the president of Cote d'Ivoire uh, um, as far as the constitution is concerned. Please, all the institutions should obey me. And that created a division, not only between uh, the within the party, the PDCI, but also division within the political class and then division in the society because Alassane Ouattara was Muslim, uh, Bejie was Christian, and it became even a, a religious problem within a country where almost 20% of the population... Many thanks, uh, Ibrahima, for that really introduction that is spot on of how these divisions came up in the Ivory Coast. I do vividly remember in 2005 when uh, Didier Drogba, arguably the best player that Ivory Coast has ever had, when he led cameras 
into the dressing room and on bended knees, the whole team asked the fighters to put down the arms, firearms. That was really very powerful at the time. It's true. It was not only very powerful, but it showed that in the society in Cote d'Ivoire, there are people who were ready to stand up and say enough is enough. Mm -hmm. We don't want to continue to destroy our country. And being, you know, a person who was loved by all Ivorian for what he was doing at that time for his national team, but also for Chelsea, which Mm -hmm. gave, you know, uh, the pride to all the Ivorian, he used that position to really not only mobilize the other players who were abroad, Don't forget that there are many players playing for Arsenal, playing in France and others. Mobilize all of them to say we need to help to really fix the problem in our country. We won't help it because we are not politicians, but we can help to stop all this violence, to stop all this nonsense. I do remember the likes of uh, Didier Zokora, you know. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, What's his name? The the, the Toure brothers. The the Toure Uh, brothers, Yaya Toure and Polo Toure. Exactly. All of them play the role. And, And what was really fascinating in the football team, the football team, when you look at it at that time, was a small ivory coast. Mm-hmm. because people were coming from everywhere, everywhere, the north, the west, the east, the center, the south, and they really used that uh, symbolism to really show to the country that we need to do more, we need to stop this. And, 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 and I think it's, uh, it's really, really powerful. This is not the first time in history that a football player or, you know, a person in sport did that. Yes. You know, when I was a little young, very, very young, I remember the role that uh, Muhammad Ali, Cassis Clay, yes. played in trying to end the war in Vietnam, in the US. And I think they learned from those experiences. Let me concretely bring out that question before we get to other personalities uh, and sports in general. How has football united the Ivory Coast since that time when the national team the elephants, all as elephants, mm. ask the fighters to put down the arms because the young generation at the moment, or right now, don't know that once upon a time there was chaos. You know, 20 years ago there was chaos. So, how has the sport united the country? I think, you know, the image that I can show you to justify what I'm saying is when Touré, the youngest brother Touré, that is Yaya, who, Yaya Touré, yeah, yeah, Yaya Touré was holding the African Cup of Nations won by Cote d'Ivoire in South Africa. Mm-hmm. He was coming from the north. He was oh. Muslim. Wow. You know, those who were excluded, showing <laughs> that those who were, you were trying to exclude amazing. are the one now who, bro- who are bringing back the African Cup of Nations to the country. That, for me, was really, really, really very powerful. You know, it showed that it's all the hand that can... Uh, really help the country to 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 reach those things, and 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 football is powerful because football reaches everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes beyond even the woman who is who is selling peanuts at the sport market is interested by the, interested. The, 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 the result in football. You know, mm-hmm. everybody you see people, and 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 it has. Football have even changed the way we see our own nation. 
you know, when you look at uh, in, uh, I'm saying the early 2000s, in many countries, in, even in the villages, you used to see people wearing Barcelona, you know, jersey. But look at now. Now everybody is proud to have his own countries. Tells you how football can unify, how football can really help people to think one. We are one, and 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 the, 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 that is the beauty of the of, uh, of this game. That, that, that's very true because uh, I was in South Sudan, deep in Bentiu, and I have many pictures I took of children wearing different jerseys of Messi, of Drogba, of but they. They didn't know where the, who these players were, but they knew they were football players and they were playing yes. football. So, uh, Ibrahima, let's talk about Cameroon. It hosted the previous AFCON and actually went on to win it, but little was done to unite the two sides. At that time, we thought, all of us watching it, that maybe this time the Anglophone regions and the Francophone regions, football is going to unite them. Was it a missed opportunity? Well, it is when you start using a sport as a political tool, it changes many, many things. And I think in uh, Cameroon, what happened is the fact that the politician, because of the number of victories of uh, Le Lyon and Octave, decided to was seeing behind this team a political tool, something that we can use politically uh, to really even help us to have the legitimacy that we didn't have or we no longer have and to use the football player in the way, you know, uh, you see how, uh, for example, somebody like Eto was yes. used in the past and so even uh, to support officially the officially president, you know, and that is, I think, for me, the way we, in countries like Cameroon, it was badly used. The second one is also using sport as a source of enrichment. You remember when Cameroon organized the last African Cup of Nations, we heard about many, many scandals. That yeah. is also another aspect on how we people, politicians are using sport for their own agenda. And that is not really good because it creates another feeling within the community that these people are not doing this for us. They are doing this for themselves. And in the African sport history, country that I can see who also use uh, very, very uh, well sport as a propaganda was uh, uh, the Guinea of Sekuture. I recall there was a year where the Sili National lost a game. The president himself, uh, late Sekuture, organized a national debate at the radio because the television didn't exist at that time. <laughs> To, to really uh, say who did wrong and what, and, and they sentenced people oh. because they didn't play very, very well. That tells you also how sport can be misused. The same way General Robert Gaye put the players in boot camp, the Ivory players, when they Exactly. Failed. That was also okay. another way of uh, uh, showing how politicians sometimes can use uh, sport. Uh, to deal with their own uh, uh, problem. And, and, and so it means that we need to be really also very cautious of the fact that sport can be used in both ways, in a very good way, in a very bad way. But I do believe that I think uh, those who are playing are also the key actors to make sure that sport 
unified the population. Uh, Sadio Mane, when you look at it in Senegal, you know, he built a school, he built, you know, health center, he built a stadium, he even built a post office. He's the only football player that I know who is giving to any single family of his village every month a minimum of 100 US dollars for them to sustain. That's also, I think, is really important in, in Africa because we are a poor country. You know, you see celebrities buying, you know, all these expensive cars, these mm. expensive watches and, you know, uh, buying sometimes even uh, planes. But, mm. you know, the symbolism of Sadio Mane is my community comes first, before me. Okay, one final one, and as your parting shot, do you see football continue to unite countries like we've talked about Ivory Coast? We see also the role of these super players, Sadio Mane and uh, Didier Drogba. And are there other Drogbas out there that can play really a role in national Oh, yes. Countries? The reason countries now are investing a lot of money in sport, it's, it brings infrastructure. It brings roads. It brings all these things that the politicians was, were not enabled or uh, not willing to do in normal situation. But when they build, when they organize Cup of Nations, when they organize these things, they will build them. They would be forced to build them. So sport, the other way, help the population to get what normally they, sh- they cannot get from the politician. That's also for me a very important element. You know, like Senegal is planning to, uh, to, to, to make a bid for the 2027 African Cup of the 2027 or 2029 Africa Cup of Nations. But the kind of investment that we are hearing in the media is extraordinary mm-hmm. for a country where this should have been done years ago. But now it's because of the sport. Is because of the popularity of the sport that now they accept to make those kind of investments. I think that's uh, uh, another uh, thing that we need to be. And lastly, I think what sport brings, or uh, what the football players bring in many, many sense, is giving visibilities to our countries. Yes. Giving visibilities to other. You know, in 2002, nobody knew Senegal before Senegal participation in the World Cup. Nobody could even put a finger and say, uh, this is Senegal. I remember uh, reading a French newspaper, L'Equipe, when a young boy asking to his dad, dad, oh, where is Senegal in the map? You know, sport is the only thing that can do that, that can help to know. Now, for example, look at Mauritania. Mauritania. Simply by winning Comoros during the last year. Even Africans, they will tell you, oh, that country exists. And by doing so, it also creates the condition of connection, the condition of mobility. So at the end of the day, I think uh, I'm not advocating for more investment in sport because there are many other things that we do. For me, the most important thing we should invest in is education because sport is even educating. Sport is the first way. You know, Senegal is winning now, is having new players. It's because they created new schools where people do sport and education at the same time. And sport is part of the education system. All these uh, new academies, the academies are a place first of education because Mm. 
if you want to be a good football player, you need to have certain skills in mathematics, in uh, geometry, and others. So <laughs> through sport also, we are improving the capacity of our countries to get uh, very good educated people. And that's also something that politicians never envisaged in the past. Maybe something that you didn't ask me, but I would like. Yes, please to. do. Sport is draining a lot of resources. How? But look at the African Cup of Nations. Yes. It's billions. You know, the, 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 the country that will win the African Cup of Nations, I think, will have six or seven million U.S. dollars just as a prize. But you see all the contracts that were signed, even our television, all of these are gaining. But when you see in our communities, you know, the lack of infrastructure, you ask yourself, uh, the, the resources that these sport are producing are really well invested in our countries. It should not go into uh, CAF or other things. Yes, CAF can have some resources, but it should also be invested. And for me, invested in the sense of equity, you know, because South Africa already has, uh, you know, all the infrastructure. North African countries have all the infrastructure. But go to Chad, go to Niger, go to all the other countries. Where do you see infrastructure? Where do you see even equipment? There isn't. So that also is a point that we need to take into consideration. Thank you, Ibrahim Khan, for the wonderful insights into how football can unite a country, especially one like Ivory Coast, that has seen political strife and civil war and all the hardships that can bring a nation. Thank you to the Ivorians who told DW how far their country has come. Also, many thanks to DW's correspondent in Abijah, Brampo Schumas, our producer, Benita Van Essen, and the team at Africa Link. I'm Isaac Mugabe, your host on this edition of the Story of the Week on Africa Link, wishing you a truly splendid weekend. DW Made for Minds.